This message first aired on the radio on December 3rd, 2003. Going through a series of nine epistles, beginning with the book of Romans, through the first and second Thessalonian epistles, as an adjunct and as a piece of our series that develops the dispensations of the scriptures. And as we have gone through over the past half a year, we've been on the air for a half a year now, a half a year plus. And in that time, we have summarized dispensations. We've introduced certain thematic teachings. All that can be found at www.biblestudy.net, on the web, archive broadcast there. You can listen to this broadcast on the web. Maybe you are. You can listen live from 5 to 6. But what our purpose is, very simple, to help you enjoy the Scriptures. We enjoy the Bible, which God intends all Christians to enjoy His Word. He's given us all things richly to enjoy. And the thing that lasts is the Scriptures. He's given us all things to enjoy in moderation, that they don't damage us. But the Scriptures, we have a full course, a free course through it. He's given us His Word. Uh, This is what satisfied the Lord Jesus Christ, that He could go away, send another Comforter to lead us into all truth, which He's done. And now... We have his word, and we should enjoy it. And so the psalm writer said, The entrance of thy word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. So that's us, just simple people that need understanding. The word of God says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives it to all abundantly. He upbraids not. He'll answer you in that prayer. You need wisdom. He'll give you wisdom through his word. And then, of course, the word of God frees us. The Lord Jesus Christ said, If you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Free from what? Well, free from the bondage of sin. And now we're talking about sin and sins. But mostly we're talking about sin and not sins. And we've drawn that distinction because the Bible makes a distinction between sin and sin. Sin is that nature of sin. Sin is that nature we inherit from Adam, whereby we are sinners producing sins. When you see sins, you ought to think about the source. We talked about yesterday how the Lord Jesus Christ contradicted a popular principle, and that is that sin comes in from the outside. He said, no, it doesn't. Sin proceeds out of the heart of man. So sins are generated by the sin that is in man, and that and the man that sins, sins because he has a nature of sin, and he has the nature of sin because he inherits that nature at birth from the one whom he is in. And we are in Adam, all of us. can trace our genealogy back to Adam. We can actually trace it all back to Noah. And Noah was a sinner, and Adam was a sinner, and so we're sinners. And we prove it, each and every one of us prove that we're sinners by sinning. Now, Being sinners in Adam, we're hopeless because we're born that way. It's our very nature. We're in a hopeless estate. We need to be saved from that. Who has saved us from that? Thank God our Lord Jesus Christ has saved us from that. And he has federated us, as it were, instead of being federated in Adam. We are therefore, if any man is in Christ, there is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things become new, even though they don't seem to be. Even though they don't look to be, they have been. And we're in Christ, in Christ. And what does it mean to be in Christ? Well, that's what Romans 6 really teaches us. It means that we're dead to sin. It means that his death becomes our death. His burial becomes our burial. His crucifixion, by the way, becomes our crucifixion. His resurrection becomes resurrection. We're dead to sin. 
that old nature, and alive to God, and we have a new nature. And that new nature then can be spoken to by the Word of God, and that's why we rely upon, here at BibleStudy.net, that's why we rely upon simple but convenient and insistent means to conduct a spiritual warfare. And our simple but consistent and really sanctified means is the proclamation of God's Word, because we know two things. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, and that miracle called the new birth, which is a marvelous thing, but which is no mystery. It's an elementary thing. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ told Nicodemus, Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. You're a teacher in Israel, you don't know this? What, are you ignorant as a teacher? I mean, after all, you're the master teacher in Israel, and this is elementary truth. A man must be born from above. How is he born from above? He's born from above by grace through faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God. We'll see that in the 10th chapter of Romans. And so our purpose is to bring the Word of God to you, because if you're lost and you're dead in your sins and trespasses, enemies in your mind according to wicked works, then as you hear the Word of God, you become convicted of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And as that conviction comes upon you, you begin to find out that you're a foolish person for denying that the Lord Jesus Christ died for your sins. We bring that message to you, how that Christ died for your sins according to the Scriptures, was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and is ascended into heaven as coming back in a body of flesh and bones to rule and reign on this earth. And when we, when we say that, which is the simple gospel, never been hid, never been hidden, it's only hidden to those whose eyes are blinded, when we begin to say these things, that marvelous work, of conviction happens by the Holy Ghost, and the new birth takes place in the lives of the hearer who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ and trusts him as Savior. And then he becomes one of us who have two natures in conflict, because Romans 6 and 7 are going to lay out for us. And then we confidently teach the Word of God to you who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that you do have a new nature that responds and understands God's Word. Just as it says as it commends us, and com as it commands, let not sin reign in your mortal body. You have this mortal body, but you've passed from death into life. You still have the mortal body. Now the question is, who or what will you allow to rule that mortal body? Well, if you do nothing at all, if you sit idly by, your natural inc inclination allows sin to reign in your mortal body according to the lusts that you have. And then you'll just obey lusts, and you'll be the servant of lusts, and therefore the servant of sin, the sin nature. But we're told, don't let that happen, but instead yield yourselves to God. That is to say, don't present your mortal body as weapons to unrighteousness, but instead present yourself to God, and then present your mortal body or your members as instruments of righteousness unto him, and he will therefore use those weapons according to his purposes and plans, which we'll find out later as we read the book of Ephesians, that he has good works for you to walk in, and he has a destiny, a predestiny for you to follow, like, as it were, golden crumbs all the way to glory, which you can follow and walk in, and he'll see to it that you find those crumbs. You'll hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk you in it. He has a destiny for you. We're not going to talk about the destiny or the predestination that God has for the believer. Not today. It's advanced truth. We have to clear these ground truths first. That's why Romans appears before Ephesians. So sin shall not have dominion over you. And here's an interesting point, which we left yesterday, and it's worth repeating. You're not under the law. You're not under law principle. 
you are not under law, but you're under grace. And if you stay under the law principle, sin will have dominion over you, because after all, what did the law do? It made sin super abundantly exceeding sinful. But where sin abounded, grace super abounded beyond sin. Now we've answered the question, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? We've answered why we shouldn't. Now we have a similar question, a related question. It's an advanced question. Having cleared, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? The next question is, well, shall we sin because we're not under law? Now we realize we're free from the law. The law has no purpose. The law has no principle upon which for us to operate in grace. Now, shall we therefore sin because there is no law? And because we're under grace, God forbid. So the first question is, shall, well, shall we sin so that grace would abound? The answer is no, because we realize where sin abounded, grace superabounded. So a nonsense thought might be, well, then let's sin even more, and grace will superabound even more. And we see the argumentation from that, because in fact, in grace, we're freed from sin. We have this new nature. And now the question is, well, we're not under the law. So, shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? And the answer to that is, God forbid, because that misappropriates and misunderstands what the grace of God is for. The grace of God is certainly not that we might be servants of sin. And that's the argument now. The grace of God is that the old man is no longer going to rule our life. The grace of God is a new man in Christ, and a new man who operates on a faith principle. And this is emerging truth as we read in the book of Romans. Maybe we already know it because we've heard it preached or studied our Bibles or something else. But the way it's laid out here, let's just say that it emanates out of the introduction of the fact that we have an old man and we have a new man, and the new man is spoken to by the word of faith. And the faith principle is the one which brought to birth the new man, and it is the principle to which the new man must stick. And if he were to fall back under law, he would no longer be under grace. And secondly, why would we, why would we want to continue in sin because we're under grace? In other words, why would we want to yield ourselves to become servants unto sin? when in fact grace has freed us from sin. We see the logical inconsistency of that here in the Scripture. Now that doesn't mean that we don't behave illogically and logically inconsistent, because that's the great problem of Romans 7, is when we look at our behavior, we have to say, I find inconsistency here. And the reason that you find that inconsistency is not because you don't have a new nature or because your old nature is just stronger than your new one or whatever. It's because you find that you have two natures, not one and then the other. And I'm so, so unhappy today that so many people misteach the Scriptures and say, well, you used to be this way, but now you're this way. As if there is no more old nature in the believer, there's only a new nature in the believer. And, of course, that's false. And that causes so many Christians to wonder if they're really saved or to not understand how to conduct themselves in a life of victory over sin because they lose the principle of grace through faith. Well, I get ahead of myself, but I'm telling you where I'm going. We look now at Romans chapter 6 and verse 15, 16, 17, and 18. And I'll just read those. 
Romans six fifteen. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of teaching which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Or, we might put it this way, having then been set free from sin, you have become the servants of righteousness. Or you have been made the servants of righteousness. Now this is something that teaches us not what we ought to do, but who we are. And I think it's much more important sometimes to understand who we are and then figure out what we should do rather than just find out what to do. And the scripture here is teaching us not what to do, but who we are, so that we might reckon ourselves properly. We might account to ourselves about ourselves properly. And I'll tell you, I told you before, I'll tell you again this. You cannot know yourself until you know God and the Lord Jesus Christ, and you don't really know yourself well at all as a Christian until you understand thoroughly what Jesus Christ's work has done for you. Well, we're going to take up more of this when we come back. Stay with me. Suffer through this announcement. And will you pay attention to it? There's a few things here that might be important to you. Romans 6.16 through 18, and it has an analogy. And, of course, the apostle in verse 19 tells us, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. So, he now says, well, I'm speaking as men would speak. I'm taking an analogy from the earth of things that men understand so that I can communicate this to you because of your infirmity, because of your lack of development in the spiritual or inward man. And that is a, a development, by the way, not of works, but of faith as it matures by works. Well, it's a development of faith. And you remember the development of faith that we found in Romans chapter 5. At the very outset of Romans chapter 5, we found that faith is supposed to develop. Faith is supposed to develop unto hope. In fact, it says we have introduction to faith into the grace wherein we stand. And then it gives us a forward-looking thought that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Well, how do we come to this rejoicing of hope? Well, we glory in tribulations, that is, we have troubles, knowing that tribulation works patience, patience experience, so we're supposed to become experienced in the faith and experience hope, and that hope will not ever make us ashamed. So that's where we're headed. We're headed to having great hope, but we need to first, before we can have great hope, we need to understand who we are, and then we need to understand why we have the problem that we have. So understanding who we are is going to be Romans 6. Understanding the problem that we have, that's going to be Romans 7. Well, we're going to understand a little bit of who we are in Romans 7, and then the problem that we have in Romans 7. And then we're going to see Romans 8, the great opportunity and the way forward that we have. And then we'll look at Romans 9, 10, 11, and see a mystery concerning the nation of Israel. Well, here he uses an analogy because of the infirmity of the flesh. He uses something simple, something earthly that we understand. And the earthly thing that we understand is what it is to be a servant to somebody. We understand that. Well, you want to call it employee, whatever you want to call it, we all understand what it is to be a servant to someone. And we, we understand that a servant to someone or something, a servant, 
yields himself to the commands of the one that he obeys. So it says, verse 16, Know ye that, that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey. This is kind of a backwards analogy so that we can understand it. And what he's saying here is, when you, you can tell by acts of people, by the way that they behave toward another, who they're serving. You can tell who's serving whom by the behavior of the servant. So here it says, Know ye not that to whom you yield yourself servant to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey. And that's right. You can look at a person, and if, if they do what another person tells them to do, then they're that person's servant. Whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. Now he's saying, well, he's talking about, what well, now are you going to serve? Are you going to be the servant of sin? Or are you going to be the servant of God, obeying him unto righteousness? And now verse 17, it says, well, God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of teaching which was delivered unto you. So now he's saying this, well, you all realize you have a history of serving sin. The person who does not realize that he has a history of serving sin is just an ignorant person, unenlightened. He has no light. It is not that he didn't serve sin. It's just that he's ignorant about himself. So here he says, God be thanked, you were the servants of sin. That's something to reflect about. Yes, indeed, I was the servant of sin. But now you have obeyed from the heart, and with the heart man believes. We're going to find that out in Romans 10. You don't believe with your head. You don't believe with your mind. That is not believing. So I don't know why somebody creates this straw man to cast it down. You have believed with your head. Why don't they just say you believe with your foot or you believe with your little finger? This head knowledge, heart knowledge, I don't even know what they're talking about. The Bible says what the heart man believes. That's anything. The man believes anything with his heart. doesn't believe anything with his head or his hand or his wrist or his knee. You believed with your knee. That's why you're not saved. How many times have you heard the ridiculous statement, you're 18 inches from salvation because you believe with your head and not your heart? I don't even know what that is. And the guy that says that doesn't know what he's talking about. It just sounds good. Why not say you're 28 inches from salvation, you believed with your shin or your knee, depending on how tall you are. You can't believe with anything but your heart. And so here it says you've obeyed from the heart the form of teaching. Now this word obeyed means you've been persuaded by. You've been persuaded from the heart. The form of teaching which was delivered unto you. This is an unusual statement, but he's pointing out when he talks about the form, he's talking about a type. He's talking about an organized system of teaching. He's not talking about a mere fact. He's talking about the type of teaching. He's in the middle of typical teaching. He's teaching the type of Adam being the progenitor of the body of sin, and he's talking about Christ as the progenitor of the body of Christ. Now, he's not using the phrase body of Christ, but he's talking about the two natures. He's talking about the Adamic nature, which is the nature of sin. And he's talking about a new nature here, which is God-breathed. And therefore, we have this typical teaching. And that's what he's talking about. You have obeyed from the heart, or you have been persuaded from your heart, the typical teaching which is delivered unto you. And what is being delivered unto them? That Christ saved them. They are condemned in Adam, and that Christ has saved them from sin. And so now, he says, being then made free from sin, you have become, literally, you have become, or you have been made, the servants of righteousness. Now, this is not, as I said, this is not what to do. This is who you are. So part and parcel of what has happened in the new birth, you see, is that the servant of sin has been made the servant of righteousness. 
So this is like unwrapping the gifts that you've been given. This is like unwrapping the gifts that you've been given. We haven't been told so much as that yet. We will be at the end of this chapter, Romans six twenty three. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, what is this gift? This gift is a new nature that's been given to you. Well, what does it mean to have a new nature? Well, it's not the nature of sin. And it is not a nature that operates on a law principle. It is a new nature that is a sin apart, that is in Christ, and that operates on a grace principle, on a faith principle in grace. So we find the principle that it operates on. Now, what side are you on? Well, you've actually been made a servant of righteousness. You say, well, I don't think so because I yield my members weapons to the other side. Well, yeah, so you're accounted to be, you look to be the servant of sin, but you've actually been made the servant of righteousness. You can present yourself to God and yield your weapons as instruments of righteousness. This is not something that the unregenerate person can do. This all is part and parcel of the new nature. You have been made the servants of righteousness. So, yes, it's a shame when the servants of righteousness yield their weapons to sin. But here was here's what it is. It's a contradiction. It's a contradiction. It's an unreasonable contradiction. And it's at least that. Whereas with the sinner, unregenerate, it's not a contradiction. It's what he does. Now, verse 19, he says, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh, because as you ha have yielded your members, servants unto cleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members, or present your members, servants to righteousness unto holiness. Unto holiness. Well, what is this now? Verse 19, we take it apart a bit. You have a history of yielding your member servants to uncleanness and to iniquity. This that is to say lawlessness unto what? That leads to lawlessness. So you've got a habit of yielding your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity. That's your habit. You have been doing that. That's why he's speaking after the manner of men. This is the thing that all men have been doing. Even now, now he's saying, now you have this new nature. Now yield your members, as it were, servants to righteousness unto holiness. This is something you need to just reckon that you can do and to do. Yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. You say, well, how do you yield that? Well, you acknowledge it's so. You do it by faith. You don't do it by ritual. You don't do it by some work. There's no work to perform here. You do it by faith. You reckon it so. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? Or what was the result? In other words, he's saying, look at the result. The end of those things is death. It brings shame to your life. Every Christian ought to be able to realize that he lived a shameful life. Well, it's a simple thing, simple thing to say. You have a good conscience. You can answer to God. You can say, yeah, I had a shameful life. I'm not proud of that. Don't want to boast about it. Don't want to talk about it that much. And what fruit had ye then in those things whereof not you're now ashamed? Bad fruit. The end of those things was death. That's right. It's where I was headed. But now being made free from sin and become the servants of God, you have fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. And so this now introduces the thought 
of the fruitful Christian. It doesn't guarantee it. It just introduces the fact that now, as a servant of God, you can be fruitful unto holiness. What is holiness? Holiness is separation by God for use according to his purpose. You say, well, where's that going to go? Well, we'll see where that goes. First of all, we need to find out who we are. We're new creation in Christ. We're not under a law principle. We're under, we're under grace, and we're under a faith principle. And we're going to stay there, aren't we? Because that's the way this new motor operates. We've been given a new vehicle. We're regenerate in Christ, and this new vehicle is a Mercedes. And we don't have to drive a scooter anymore. Got off that old Segway, and I'm in a brand-new Mercedes. Ah, you say, well, what about it? What's the Mercedes aren't that good? Okay, I'm in a brand-new Rolls-Royce. And you'd think everything was great because I have a perfect vehicle here. I have a vehicle that will not sin, that cannot sin. But I've got a two-car garage. That's my problem. And that's the problem that we get into here as we look at the problem of the Christian life. And what's the problem of the Christian life? Well, we've got a new vehicle, but we've got a two-car garage, and in that garage is also that old vehicle. And sometimes we just get in the old jalopy, we get in that 74 Pinto, even though we've got a brand new rolls to get into. That's one problem that we have. The other problem that we have is even when we get into that brand new Rolls Royce, what happens? We lack fuel or we lack power. And that's what we're going to find out here now as we turn toward Romans as into, as we head into Romans chapter 7. We're going to find out that we have the new vehicle, but it lacks power. And we have a new life, but we lack the power to live it. Oh, what are we going to do about that? To Romans chapter 7, and we see the discourse changes a bit, and he redirects it, as it were, to a certain kind of understanding. And if we don't take note of this, we're going to have a lot of trouble with Romans 7. And if we don't remember where we've come from in Romans chapter 5 and Romans chapter 6, we're going to have a lot of problem with Romans 7. And in fact, if we don't take into account the Scriptures, if we don't take into account the Scriptures as we read the rest of the Scriptures, we become those who are unstable and wrestle with the Scripture and turn them into something that they're not. And I'll advise you to be careful not to do that and to pay careful attention also now as we turn to a portion of Scripture that is deep and difficult and that assumes that we've cleared and understand who we are in Christ and what principle we're under. Now he says for chapter 7, well, I shouldn't get to chapter 7 before I read this incredible Romans 6.23, because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I want to say that salvation by grace through faith is not merely a different outcome to the life, but it is also a different process to the life. Salvation in Christ is not merely a different outcome. It is also a different process. It says the wages of sin, or what we earn, or what we are paid for sin, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, that demonstrates that we're on a different principle as well as a different outcome. And if you're not on a different principle, you're not going to get a different outcome. And the different principle is faith alone in Christ alone of works under law. The wages of sin, that is what is due to sin, is death. But God will freely give you, by his grace, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Isn't that wonderful, that verse? 
We glibly quote it. We teach it often. It's a memory verse, and I have no problem with that. I'm glad that my little grandchildren will have memorized this verse. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But we need to think about this for a minute and understand not only the difference between death and life, between wages and gift. Not only is there a different outcome, but there's a different process to reach that outcome. And we're not under law, but we're under grace, and it's the gift of God that is eternal life. That clearly understood, summarized accordingly in verse 23. We turn to Romans 7, verse 1. Do you not know, brethren, to them that know the law? That's why he used the word brethren. It's interesting that he speaks to them that know the law, because these would have learned the law from Jews. But I don't think they would be Jews that he addresses here in the book of Romans, because the Jews have been run out of Rome, among who appear to be Aquila and Priscilla, and we covered that earlier. But the Jews have been run out of Rome by Claudius. Nevertheless, they had done their teaching, and there are plenty of proselytes, especially in Rome. So he says, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over man as long as he lives. Now, he is teaching about the law and the extent of its relationship to the person. And he's using an analogy that everyone understands out of the law. And that analogy that everyone understands out of the law is a woman bound to her husband. The apostle is not beginning to teach, nor does he teach anywhere here in the book of Romans about marriage here. He's teaching about the relationship of the law to the believer. And he's teaching it out of a very well understood portion of the law. Now before we go any further, let me just say that the law says, for example, that a disobedient child should be taken by his parents to the elders of the city in the gates, and he should be declared to be a rebellious son, and then they should stone that child to death and leave him in a rock pile, assuming we would assume, therefore, the accusers being the parents, the judges being the elders, that the accusers, the parents, would throw the first stones. Now that's in the law, and that's a right thing. What the law says about disobedient children, rebellious children, stone them to death. From there, we can learn something. But the thing that we don't learn is that we should take our disobedient children and stone them to death. I'm not going to stone my disobedient children to death. Neither am I going to tolerate you doing that. But we can still learn the righteousness and how horrible it is to being disobedient to parents. Well, here now we learn this. We're going to learn about the grace of God and why it applies to us and why we're not under law from this analogy. And I'm not going to take this analogy and tell you to leave the woman that you're with and all kinds of other crazy things. The woman which has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she's married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, you are also become dead to the law by the body of Christ. And now we have this statement. And this is not talking about the church which is his body. This, this is not just some sudden introduction of the concept of the body of Christ. No, this has to do that we're dead to the law by the death, by the dead, according to the dead body of our Lord Jesus Christ, who did die for us. And although she's under his rule and his authority while he's alive, 
when he is dead, he no longer has authority over her. She is free to marry. She is free from him. She may marry who she is. This analogy of the emancipation of the woman from her husband applies to the emancipation from the law due to the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ, who fulfilled the law in his crucifixion. Now, he fulfilled the law in his crucifixion. The law said, for example, cursed is anyone who hangs on the tree. The law had curses for us. He became a curse for us. He died under the law to eliminate the penalty of the law. He fulfilled the law. That doesn't mean he abolished the law. He didn't abolish it. He fulfilled it. It's done its perfect work. He fulfilled. That doesn't mean that there's something left for you to fulfill in the law. Quite the opposite. In fact, if he fulfilled it, then there is nothing left of it. It's to be observed as fulfilled. And now, those that know the law, the apostle uses this analog, and of course, it's an inspired analog, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. It's a perfect analog. The law, with respect to the believer, is like a dead man to a widow. He served his purpose, he's gone on, and I'm free from it. Ah, that's him, free from the law, oh, happy condition. Whoever is under the law. Now he said, I know, for I speak to them that know the law. These are those who are under the law. This the Jews or Jewish proselyte? Either way. Wherefore, my brethren, you are also become dead to the law by the body of Christ or by Christ's body, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. And now he's taking us through, as it were, by example the reckoning faith of dead to sin and alive to God. Just as Christ died in fulfilling of the law, and he's dead, so that thing which is against us was also nailed to the cross with him. He died for all that. Now he's alive without all that. Different husband. We're under grace and not under law. That's the teaching here just like the widow who remarries. She's no longer under the authority. She's no longer under the dead husband. I happen to know a couple of happy widows. These are believing sisters that are married to new men. Their husbands have died, and their former husbands had certain ways that they did things. And their new husbands have different ways that they do things. And they're no longer bound to do things the way the old husband wanted to do it. It was their choice. They're the ones that put themselves under the authority of another man, slobs that we are. And now they do it a different way, for better or worse, richer or poorer, and so forth. But they're no longer under the commands of that old man. He's dead. And they don't have to do what both of them tell him, or try to divide the difference, or anything else that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. And here's the point, by the way. Do you want to live a fruitless Christian life? You know, most Christians are living fruitless Christian lives, at least most that I know. And the reason for it is that they're on the wrong principle. They have abandoned the principle of grace through faith. It's hard to find a whole group of Christians 
who will hold together the principle of grace through faith and put away this whole legalism business. And, of course, that is the attempt of the enemy. In the spiritual conflict, we can realize that it is the attempt of the enemy. When people depart from the principles laid down here from Romans, that is why the book of Galatians is written, to correct those who depart from Romans. And in there we read, Who has bewitched you that you so soon moved from the gospel and from the truth? Who's bewitched you? Well, we know who bewitched you. Are the enemy of our souls? Who knows that the Christian already has eternal life and he can't be he can't be robbed of that so he can just be made unfruitful and how is he made unfruitful he's made unfruitful by being moved off the principle of grace through faith you want to be fruitful you want to bring forth fruit to god you must adhere to faith alone in christ alone i say adhere to it because you receive the gift of God, which is eternal life, by believing that, but you can only become fruitful in the Christian life by adhering and persisting in that and not being moved to some other principle. Don't be so foolish to think, having begun in the Spirit, you'll now be made mature, perfect, according to what? The law. It just doesn't happen. A different principle, a different process brings about a different result. Fruitfulness is brought about by grace through faith. Anything else is going to bring about result altogether. Verse 5, for when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Now listen, we're not in the flesh anymore. Anyone who's believed in the Lord Jesus Christ is not in the flesh. I remember I had a fellow that was very angry at me one time as I wanted to conduct myself in a biblical way that he didn't understand. He wanted to beat me up, but he couldn't bring himself to do it, of course, because God restrained him. And I told him, well, God's the only one restraining you. He said, I ought to step out of the Spirit here and smack you one. He's born again. He's in the Spirit. He's not in the flesh anymore, even if he's acting according to the flesh. He's just another Christian that's at war with his two natures. Don't kid yourself and don't give yourself so much credit here. You're not holding yourself back. God's keeping you from hitting me, not to protect me, but to protect you because I'm his servant. like to go on here. We're running short of time, and I'd like to play for you a great song, so stick with us, and we'll look more at Romans 7 tomorrow. This is a wonderful study.